Welcome back to Momplicated, episode three. It's been a whirlwind of a week and pretty crazy. I told myself I wasn't going to start every episode that way because I feel like it it's the whole like glorification of busyness thing, but um, but here we are. It, it really has been a crazy week, though. It's been a mix of snow days and sick days and birthdays. And my kids actually have uh, today off school just for funsies, I guess. But I completely forgot about that until yesterday. So um, my daughter was sick this week, and she's only been to one day of school. For She went Monday and then not again since. And uh, it definitely, you know, the illness this time of year <laughs> starts to wear on you as a parent. I think we all know how much we juggle and balance on a day-to-day basis, but it's really not until like one of my kids gets sick or I get sick that I become like acutely aware of just how delicate that balance is. And like once someone in my house gets sick, it really feels like this domino effect of everything unraveling or maybe it's just me, but um I do think it's a big part of why I also get such anxiety around my kids getting sick at times because it feels like not only does it set me back for those days that they're sick, but then it's like I need like three whole business days after they are better to get my life back in order. But we made it through and um, all in all, it actually, it wasn't a terrible week. My and my daughter's birthdays were on Monday and... As I've gotten older, I find myself getting a little like more emo about my birthday and I'm not totally sure why, but um, I really, I could spend my birthday doing something super low key, like just going to a yoga class or going out to dinner with my husband or lunch with a friend, Um, but I share a birthday with my daughter (laughs) and whenever I tell people that, they're like, oh so amazing and I'm like yes one day I think it will be so amazing but for now it means that I spend my birthday kind of facilitating a child's birthday (laughs) but there are obviously worse things and she had a great time and I'm very happy for that um one I think a big part of of my like emo-ness this time of year in general is is because it is just like the the hardest time of year for me um and really for our family we call it we we call it Chris birth and anniversary because starting with my youngest's birthday in December it's just nonstop birthdays and holidays and anniversaries through March and by then we are just so over it like when my husband and I celebrate our anniversary in March we don't we really don't celebrate it we're like no more gifts no more celebrations we're just done um but yeah I usually get through the holidays pretty well and even the first part of January but it's kind of now until April that I'm like oh put a fork in me I'm done I miss the sun There is no amount of vitamin D or supplements to make up for like the months of gray that we experience here. Um, Trust me, I have tried and I absolutely suffer from 
like seasonal depression or, you know, sad seasonal affective disorder. Um, I hate that. <laughs> I hate that that is the acronym because I find it kind of annoyingly hilarious. But maybe that was intentional. Maybe that they thought it would they would thought it would cheer us sad people up. But this year I have started being a little more intentional in how I handle this kind of season. And one of the things that I've been intentional about is taking medication. And wow, what a life changer that is. I hadn't realized how the physical symptoms of even just seasonal depression, like how how physical that that seasonal depression was, like in my body prior to being on meds, I would walk around all winter long kind of with that feeling like you're coming down with something like on the verge of getting sick. And that that's how I would spend all winter feeling. And I never really knew why. But now that I am on meds, I just magically don't have that. And it's so wild to me. So I don't know. Thank goodness for modern day medicine, I suppose. But um, I also did have to laugh at myself because when I was talking to a friend about uh, the holidays a while back, I was like, yeah, we actually had a really great holiday season this year. And like, I think it's because the kids are getting older and we really just kept it low key. And then I was like, oh, yeah. And I also started taking an antidepressant. So that might have something to do with it. But um, speaking of the holidays, I know they're long over, but we did finally take our Christmas tree down. In my defense, we did put it up pretty late this year, but we took it down. And I'm sharing this because as we took it down, I had one child sobbing, so upset, saying that it was the best tree we had ever had. And she was so sad that we were getting rid of it and she wanted it to stay up. And then I had another child who didn't skip a beat, (laughs) enthusiastically went and grabbed his little toy chainsaw. Yes, they make those. Thank you, grandma and grandpa. And uh, began like attempting to hack this tree to pieces with his little toy chainsaw. And it was one of those moments where I was reminded of how like very just different and individual my kids are. Um, And they have been since they were born. And I think whenever I had my first, I remember I kind of had this idea in my head that like I was 100% responsible for like shaping him into whatever it was that he was going to be. And then we had our second who was so completely opposite. It was almost like this weight off my shoulders. Like, oh, they really are just who they are. And like not every single thing about them comes back to how I parented them. Like they were just born with the temperament that they have. And then you learn that so much of your parenting experience depends on that temperament. And I I feel like we really do such a disservice to parents when we aren't like explicit and honest about this. Like when when you're going home from the hospital, I feel like they should be like, hey, 
Just so you know, like that baby's temperament has already been decided and it might sleep. It might not. It might cry a ton. It might cry very little. But like, congrats. This is your first lesson in learning that you're going to have to figure out what works for your individual child when it comes to sleeping, eating, potty training. Like you could have a friend with a child that is the exact same age and be on completely different journeys. And if you are looking at that friend and thinking, why does this phase seem so easy for them? It's probably because that child has a very different temperament. Um, And my third in particular has very third child, youngest child energy um, on top of being just naturally busy and I say cheeky because it always just sounds so much nicer than naughty, but he's he's cheeky and he seems to really enjoy being that way. Um, so this past weekend, as I was getting ready for my daughter's birthday party, my husband had taken our youngest outside all morning to play in the snow because he already seemed to be on a little bit of a naughty streak. And uh, so he took him outside to let him burn off some energy. They had just come back inside and I was getting dressed whenever my youngest came into the bathroom with a bunch of black stuff all over his hands and shirt. So of course I was like, what the hell is on your hands and where did it come from? It came from our fireplace, which he knows he's not supposed to mess with, but he is three. And not only did he get it all over himself, he got it on our like upholstered ottoman, which is literally the only piece of furniture we own that can't be washed. Like I buy furniture that is like I can zip the cover off and put it in the wash because we do have three kids. I'm also a slob. I spill on everything. Um... But it is truly like the only thing we own that's like entirely spot clean. And when I tell you, (laughs) I lost it like I haven't in a very long time. Um, I'm not trying to brag because it's taken me many years of practice and three kids to get here. But I have gotten pretty good about not yelling at my kids. Um, I saved that for my husband. But I basically like threw my head back and did one of those like screams that should have been into a pillow but was not into a pillow. And of course, it scared my son, which I felt terrible for. (laughs) My husband came running in, I'm sure, thinking someone was injured. And uh, he realized what happened. And I think like scooped up my son, took him to the other room. I think I was so dysregulated and just full of rage at this point that I I can't like fully remember. But um, if you're like, holy shit, Dina, he's three. Like this is typical three-year-old stuff. I just have to say I have had two three-year-olds before. So I know that three-year-olds in general like kind of like always be just acting a fool, very used to it. But he's always just been on another level (laughs) the level of vigilance it has taken to parent him is is extremely high but we recovered and repaired and all that and I was feeling a bit guilty about the whole thing naturally um but I was even more like oh my gosh like how can I get this kid to chill out a bit 
And that night, I sent a Marco Polo, which if you don't use Marco Polo, it's basically like a video messaging app, um, like video texting to my friend Lauren, who we had on episode one, telling her about the day and like that whole incident. And I got a message back from her a while later, and she just said, you know, I know exactly what you mean and how you feel. And our youngest has always been really sensory driven. And it kind of, it like clicked for me in that moment. Like I've always known that my youngest is very sensory driven, specifically with his hands and his mouth, which is also why I have had to call poison control on him more times than I would like to admit. Um, But though I always have to say, I can't recommend poison control enough. They are truly the nicest people. Um, But so I, I realized or really like more remembered that that's what was going on it was very much like a sensory thing and we recently moved back into our house after a renovation and I haven't really made any of his typical sensory toys like like play-doh kinetic sand his drums all that as like accessible as they had previously been so I had this sort of like aha moment where I was like okay I need to pull that shit back out but I was even more just amazed at in this like one minute message from my friend she managed to make me feel seen and validated and comforted and without even really realizing it gave me some amazing advice um, and all without judgment and I think that is some of the most important work there is, is those conversations that we have with other moms, other parents, our friends, where we are sharing and troubleshooting and supporting one another, um, just in an attempt to like help our kids and our families and ourselves. And I feel so fortunate to have built kind of like this community both in person and online where I feel like I have that um even when I'm not just like putting up a question box on Instagram to be like a hoe for attention I regularly get just dms from people asking my opinion on various things and I'm always so flattered that people trust me to even just be like a listening ear. So really, all of this is a, my very roundabout way of leading into today's episode, which is a little listener Q&A. This is also my first solo episode without an official guest, but we do have producer Andy here to read the questions and keep me in line. Um, I'm super thrilled to have her on this episode with me because I have talked about her so much to like family and friends because she's fantastic. Uh, but they have obviously never met her and she's always behind the scenes. So I was starting to be like, do people think I made her up? Like people are like, oh, sure, Dina, you're like your producer who lives in L.A. But she's real and she's going to be talking today. So everybody's going to know she's real. But um, yeah, so I put a question box up on Instagram and just said, ask a question for the podcast. And 
y'all delivered. Like many of the questions were about ADHD, which is my fault because I did put it up there as a suggested topic, but I didn't get, I did not expect to get so many questions about it. So I'll probably, we will get into that a little bit today, but then um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do an episode about ADHD where we can discuss most of those things like a little more in depth. Um, And if your question was about something else and we don't answer it today, it could be because we're planning to discuss it on a different episode this season. Like we have one where we're we're probably going to talk about social media a little more and dive into that a little deeper. And um, whatever doesn't get answered here, I can always try to get to on Instagram. So let's get into it. Producer Andy, welcome. Thank you, Dana. We've got some really good questions. Yes, we do. Way juicier than I anticipated. For sure. We tried to keep everyone a a little bit anonymous, especially for the personal questions. So you might hear your question, but you might be identified by a name that's a little bit different. All right, Dana, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So here's question one. It comes from Sarah. She writes, you know what I really want to talk about, but I'm afraid will get you canceled? Having close girlfriends who chose not to have children, but then talk about how much better their life is without kids. Two of my closest girlfriends from college make comments about how their life is better without kids and make kind of harsh comments when I share about how I'm having a particularly bad day. I'm happy they don't want to have kids. No one should ever have kids who doesn't want them. I also want to be like, yeah, you only see the mom frustrations on social media. Moms rarely post all of the incredible moments we get from teaching them something or having them hold your face or say I love you and just all of the amazing parts of motherhood. So my question really is, how do you keep your friends who chose not to have children and what do you share with those friends? Ooh, it's hmm. a good one. Sarah, your friends sound like a bitch. <laughs> um I I could do an entire episode on this topic also I'm not afraid of being canceled I mean I am but not on this topic (laughs) um don't tell your producer that (laughs) oh you're here to keep me in (laughs) um I agree that Like, I too am glad that they don't have kids and no one should have to have kids who doesn't want, who don't want them. However, the people who are like, ew, kids, like, no, though I have zero patience for those type of people. Kids are like a a very important part of society and the same as everybody is, like old people. I mean, it's, they're just should be just as welcome in society as anybody else. And it's kind of weird to me that it it almost sounds like because it's these two friends who both kind of went down this same path, I almost feel like they've, they've like bonded over this like decision not to have kids, which is fine. But now they're doing that weird like mean girl thing where they, they like are like ganging up on you almost. Um, yeah, like that threes the crowd thing that I feel like usually happens in like elementary and middle school, but you know, 
still seems to continue into adulthood for some people. And yeah, I I think it's hard to say. My friends who who don't have kids are always super supportive of me when I am venting. Um, I also, I absolutely love my friends who don't have kids because they're a lot easier to get together with than people who have kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I feel like I spend more time with them sometimes. Um, But they're all very supportive of of my journey as a parent, the same way that I'm supportive of whatever, like their interests. Yeah, it seems like these are... These are the kind of friends you just can't vent to. <laughs> yeah, because like, if that's really, if you're like, how do I keep these friends? Then, yeah, I would f- say find, and this is why I do think it's important to have friends who are in all these like different areas of life. Because if I go to, if I go to my friend's house who doesn't have any kids, like it always looks immaculate and like you could a photographer could walk in there that day and take photos of their house and I go home to my house and I'm like Jesus like (laughs) it looks like a tornado went through this place but then if I go to my friend's house who has like uh, like preschoolers or toddlers I can walk you know I walk in and there's toys everywhere and I'm like oh yes thank you you know they're so I, I feel like having friends in those different phases is so helpful so I think you like keep these friends but also maybe it's time to strengthen your friendships with other people who are in that same phase as you because we also touched on this kind of the last episode where it's really hard to explain to somebody who doesn't have kids the amazing parts of parenthood um, oftentimes I because I the best way I can put it is like the love that I have my kids is the most profound feeling I have ever experienced same um and and so but but that's hard it's just like hard to explain to somebody who hasn't experienced it and but the the hard parts are very visible these days especially with social media but this is also why I say like if if you're on the fence about whether or not you want to have kids like don't get that information from social media you'll get a a very specific view of it right and I think that Sarah's right that like most people don't post about the incredible moments because it sort of comes off as overly precious or Mm -hmm. um, bragging and so so people don't, but those moments are definitely happening and balancing the experience. Absolutely, I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know if you would e- if you should even get into it with them if there's space for that conversation about like, hey, I feel like really crappy whenever I come to you and you know try to. I'm looking for just some comfort, and you're kind of shitty about it. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's – they kind of sound immature to me, honestly. And so I don't know how that's received and if it's almost better to just, mm-hmm. like I said, kind of keep keep them as your, your friends but strengthen those other friendships. But if they're making you feel bad about yourself, like maybe you've outgrown that friendship too and that's okay. 
Yeah. It maybe the answer is like you can't always keep yeah. friends that you're in widely different orbits with right. or you hope that you sort of sync back up later. Right. And I think the other thing is just know that th- there are people out there who don't have kids or are choosing not to have kids who who aren't going to treat you this way. Like that's the other thing. This is not uh, reflective of all people who chose not to have kids, you know. So this isn't like necessarily a problem you're going to run into again with other people because I feel like it is – you know, if, if we're going to say it takes a village to, like, you know, raise a kid, that includes people who don't have their own children. Yeah. I feel like regardless of, a, of whether or not a person has kids, there has to be a certain amount of respect for people who are doing this work because they are <laughs> they are raising the next generation that is going to take care of us someday. I mean, right. we do need them. <laughs> So you can't just pretend they don't exist. Right. Or that they're just a burden. Right. I would go as far to say, like, if somebody doesn't have kids, you are still, I I still think it's a great idea to connect with those children that are in your orbit, whether, you know, nieces and nephews, friends, kids, um, like, reach out in that way. It's okay to form a bond with that child, like... I think every child could benefit from an additional loving adult in their life. And I feel like that's also going to give you a better picture of what it's like as a parent than what you're seeing on like social media. Yeah, exactly. Now, I have a question for you, Dana. Some people might say what – because the other part of Sarah's question is what do you share with those friends? And – I would imagine that there are people listening right now that are like, just don't share about your kids, meet up for drinks, talk about your job, talk about whatever drama is going on in your life apart from your kids. Do you think that works or do you think that that's sort of not a great Band-Aid? I mean, I feel like it's going to be, you can try that, but it depends on what your your current situation like how old your kids are and what phase of parenting you're in like if you're a stay-at-home mom with like toddlers or preschoolers or babies like that is (laughs) probably most of your life it's your whole life so (laughs) you're gonna have a hard time I mean yeah you can talk about about them and their you know their jobs or their whatever their pets or anything else but I also feel like do you want to be in a friendship where like you can never share about yourself you know and maybe right you can't share the most important experience you're having yeah 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 and I don't know it almost seems like I said it feels like a very mean girl situation to me and it feels like they're maybe even deep down there's like some envy I don't know I I mean you can't say for sure without more information but they might be using your bad days as validation yes that they've made the right choice yeah might be okay you ready for the next one I am this one's from Kate how do you respond to mom-led mom shaming personally I feel like the working mom formula feeding sleep training archetype is constantly under attack yeah I mean, I think a big part of this is social media because a lot of it, I always come back to that, um, I think it was like a Brene Brown quote where like people are hard to hate close up. 
Yeah. And when we're on social media, we're not close up. And I think moms right now especially have a lot of anxiety about their own decisions because we kind of put that anxiety on them. Um, There's you know, so many, so many decisions to make in parenting. And we're always afraid that we're going to get it wrong. And especially with, you know, the things we see on or yeah, see on and read on social media. Um, And then I think what's happening a lot that I've noticed on social media is the projecting of those anxieties. And it, it is, I mean, it is mom shaming. Like, I have gotten myself blocked from accounts where I have called people out for mom shaming because they're like, well, this is, you know, I'm just raising awareness about this. Like, th- it, this is a safety thing. I mean, there there are so many rules right now. Let me make this very clear. <laughs> for the people with tiny little babies, y'all have so many more rules about how to keep that baby safe and yeah I just to to keep that baby safe than we ever did and I feel like it has like bred this like this very anxious environment that parents are living in and they're like so they'll they'll do things this certain way because they're like okay well I'm so worried about you know something going wrong with my baby. So this is the way I'm going to do things. So in their heart, that feels like the right way because of the, you know, that anxiety. And so then it's like when they see someone doing it a different way, they're like, no, no, no. Like that's, that's not how you're supposed to do it. That's not the right way. (laughs) And sometimes the way that they're doing it is the more inconvenient way. So they're sweating through these hoops that they think they have to jump through. And then they see some other mom not jumping through those hoops. Yes. And then they're like, well, you don't get to do that. Mm -hmm. You don't get to take the easy way out. But (laughs) also, doesn't it, it seems like also some of these new rules are almost in opposition to one another. Absolutely. The swaddle versus the, it's the swaddling is is good in this way, but then it's bad in that way. And you're constantly like weighing risk. Well, and that's, I, I think, <laughs> again, having had my first, you know, 12, over 12 years ago, there are some recommendations that have totally flip-flopped like and done a 180 like he had food allergies and now you deal with food allergies in a completely different way than we than I was told by an allergist and and yes there there is many ways that we can say like this is the the best way to do something this is the safest way to do something with like the data that we have available but there's always like parenting doesn't exist in a vacuum there are so many other factors at play that we have to take into consideration and say, like, I mean, I saw um, there was a video of a mom, like, giving her baby a snack, and not a baby, it was like a toddler, uh, giving a toddler a snack in the car. And the comments are like, you shouldn't let your kids eat in the car, like, they could choke. And I'm like, like, how many kids do you have? Because... 
I am constantly running kids around. And like if I didn't let my kids eat in my car because I was afraid of them choking, it would it would be a disaster. They'd be hungry and crying. And like so those are the kinds of things where it is this like like I said, it's a lot of this like projecting of anxiety. And that's why I think with the mom shaming, it's almost always a reflection of them. So you you can respond if you want. I but but you can also just ignore it and and know. I think once you know, like again, in within yourself, like if you can be confident in your own decisions, those things get to you a little bit less. Okay, we got our next question. This one is from Taylor, and it's a personal question. She is asking, Dana, what is the evolution of your career, including as a stay-at-home mom? Anything you wish you did sooner or wish you were still doing? Yeah, so I got my degree in biology and then went to graduate school and taught middle school and high school science for a bit. I loved it. I loved teaching teenagers. Um, I think teenagers get such a bad rap, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. But when we had our second, it kind of didn't make sense financially anymore. Um, My husband travels a lot for work. So it was just like the daycare, like who's doing drop off, who's doing pickup became a lot. And then with adding another baby, the financials on top of that, it just didn't make sense anymore. Um, so I became a stay at home mom and something that I wish I realized sooner was that that decision did bring so much value to our household. Um, because I remember when I first started staying at home, I felt like I I felt like I really needed to contribute financially. And if I wasn't making an income, then I wasn't, you know, quote, working. And so I did start, like I started a website and totally fell into like the boss babe hustle culture trap. Um, and it sucked. Like I look back and I mean, I loved what I did at the time. And then I started another another business after, you know, doing photography. And again, it was like that that hustle, like nap time hustle. Oh, my God. That makes me want to like. You mean like, okay, they're taking a nap. I have an hour to get all of this professional work. Like, And oh. then after they went to bed, it was like staying up yeah. until, you know, the wee hours of the morning editing photos and yeah it was it was not good it was not good for anybody it wasn't good for my mental health it wasn't good for my kids even and I actually I think I realized it one day when um my daughter my second one was like I guess she was a toddler and it was a beautiful summer day it was like 75 degrees and sunny and I was I had turned the T I put them in front of the TV all the time so that I could get editing done or make phone calls or whatever. And um, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, what's the point of this? If like, I thought I was like, 
had been sold this idea that like you get to stay home with your kids and work. Wow. And it's like, no, that's a scam. Like <laughs> if you are going to work, even if it's from your home, you need childcare for your kids. Because I was like, had that realization that I was like, they'd be way better in daycare right now. Having like that enrichment. I'm plopping them in front of the TV for hours at a time on like a beautiful sunny afternoon so that I can do this. Like, what is the point? I've heard that nap time hustle described as picking a lock while underwater. Yes. (laughs) And it is that frantic feeling of like, I am running out of time, but because I know I'm running out of time, it is making the task harder. Yep. There is that feeling that you get because I've I've done it too, where it's like, I have to finish this edit, but they might wake up early and then you're kind of mad at them for waking up. (laughs) I remember... Every day I, I get that feeling like in my stomach, like, oh my God, no, like I was in the middle of something and now I can't finish it. I'm not going to be able to finish it until they go to bed tonight. And it, and I should back up and say part of it was like, like the, we, we needed the income, but I needed to figure out a way. I should have figured out a way. Like, what can I do that can also then cover childcare? Because that's also that's the other struggle, right? Is like childcare is so expensive. So I was like, if I'm gonna do, if I'm gonna go back to work, it either needs to be making enough money to cover childcare, or I have to work with my kids at home for me, which is so freaking unfair. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also a bad way to think about it because if you, if re- in reality, like the if you're looking at the cost of childcare, like that should be, you know, it comes out of your combined income, I feel like as a as a dual income household. So I was thinking about it entirely wrong as well. But yeah, I would say that is my biggest regret. Okay, are you ready for the next question? I am ready. Okay, Mary asks, how do you quiet the quote, you just wait until XYZ talk? You just wait. I'm so anxious about my kids growing up. So this is the idea of you just wait until they're teenagers or you just wait until they're young adults, which, we, you know, you hear a lot when you're babies. It's always going to get so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> you start to hear it when you're pregnant, I think, <laughs> is like, uh, just wait. Just wait until they're born and they're keeping you because you'll be like, oh, I can't sleep. I'm not comfortable at night. And they're like, well, just wait until you have a newborn and you're up all night. I I still think this is a, another example of like this weird like projecting thing that some people do where they didn't like that st- some specific stage so much so they don't want you to like it. <laughs> you know, or maybe they're trying to find commiseration, but I have I was very very surprised that I really enjoyed <laughs> pretty much every stage after the newborn phase a lot because I thought I would really enjoy the newborn stage and I did not. It was very intense. But now, like as my kids are getting older and I have a little more freedom, I feel like I'm so much better able to connect with them. Like, and that has been a really cool experience, I think. Like, And I will say, 
Every time I think I love a stage, I end up really liking the next stage even more. Like it's only gotten better for me. And I do think there's some people out there that are just like, you know, different different people are going to thrive in different stages. And again, it depends on the temperament of your child. Um, if, if you have a newborn that is an absolute delight, you might find toddlerhood really challenging. But then you also might find the teenage years really great again. So there's no way no one has like a crystal ball. And I think everybody is different. Um, but I would also say like the overwhelming majority of the people I talk to really haven't enjoyed the older stages more than they thought they would. Yes, I completely agree. And as the mother of a 15 and a 14 year old, I am at the best stage so far. It just keeps getting better. Yeah, they're funny They're You start to see their personality like it is. There's so much more joy in it than I think, like, you know, the the cliche, like, sitcoms and stuff <laughs> portray. <laughs> okay. Becca has written us with a real doozy. Here we go. Last year, I found out via Ancestry DNA that my dad is not my biological dad. Apparently, my parents used sperm donors in the 80s to conceive my sister and I. This was before sperm banks and protocols. It's important to share that my sister and I physically look very different. Growing up, it was a joke that mom, quote, slept with the milkman. My sister looks like my mom, and I was always told that I look like my dad. I'm 34 years old with two young kids myself now. I did match with my biological grandfather on Ancestry DNA. And I contacted him, but he was not interested in sharing which of his four sons may be my biological father. But via the power of social media, I've tracked down one of the potential candidates. And I've been debating for months if I should reach out to him. Would you Facebook message a man if you knew he was your biological father? Do you think that would cause any adverse impacts for him? (laughs) And we should note in advance that we don't know he is her biological father. So it's just a one in four chance. Becca, you've come to exactly the right place with this question. For no reason other than I am now so fucking invested. We're on this journey together now, Becca. Um, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to invite all the men to your wedding on the small Greek island that you've grown up on. And you're going to discover that they're all so wonderful that you don't even want to know which one is your father. (laughs) Um, Wow. Mamma mia. (laughs) I think first of all we have to say that there is no right or wrong here because so it was she was born in 1990 and it sounds like I mean those were that was I guess crazy times right where you could just give sperm and and not have a care in the world beyond that <laughs> and that person <laughs> who 
donated their sperm probably had no way of knowing that in like 20 years you'd be able to spit into like a tiny cup and two weeks later get an email that lists like everybody you're biologically related to (laughs) right like no one could have seen that come in and so I feel like you do have to be respectful of whatever anybody decides in this situation like there there's no right or wrong um also, this is way better than my DNA report, by the way, because mine was just like, you have a gene associated with having a bad sense of direction. I was like, cool, thanks, <laughs> 23andMe. Dana, the other thing that isn't clear in the question is how her you know, mother and father, the father who raised her, feel about this. And I wish we knew that part of it. That's what... I was also thinking, though, but then I was like, well, it doesn't really, in the end, I don't think their opinion is the end-all, be-all. I, curiosity, from my own perspective, curiosity would 1,000% get the best of me. Like, I would have to at least reach out. But I think it's a question of one, when, because she just found this out last year, and so that's a lot like that's a big deal and so like how are you feeling about it how I mean have you like come to terms with just that completely and also I think you have to ask yourself like why am I reaching out am I just genuinely curious or like do you have a fraught relationship with your dad and deep down you're hoping for a relationship with your biological dad? I guess I don't know if we actually – what the correct terminology there is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, like are you going to be okay if he says that he doesn't want to even like meet you? Because I guess that's a possibility. I wonder if there are like life coaches who specialize in this kind of work, especially now that like Ancestry and 23andMe have become so popular. Yeah, I that's a good idea. There's coaches for everything these days. Okay. Whitney asks, what is your biggest insecurity as a mother in this current chapter? Oh, I would have to say currently it, it's always like, am I being – Am I present enough? Am I giving enough like individual attention to each of my kids? Um, because I'm a person who's just like naturally in their head a lot and on the go a lot. Um, and then I think if you add like the modern day, um, just modern day life stuff on top of that, there are so many days where it's noon and I'm like, have I made eye contact with my children yet? Like, <laughs> I'm just on autopilot going through the motion so many days and I'm like terrified of like waking up one day and being like I missed it all but um yeah I'd say that's like my biggest insecurity is constantly wishing I had more more time to feel present and like dedicate to each of them individually and then also my oldest getting to this age where he's in middle school now and I'm I'm constantly I feel like I constantly go back and forth with him about not knowing if I'm being like too hard on him or almost sometimes not like not I don't want to say not hard enough but like maybe not pushing him enough not doing more to 
make him independent um I always waver on that and I think it's like this parenting tweens and teens feels so much like this navigating this like uncharted territory because we had such different experiences I think I'm speaking mostly about technology at this point where they like Mm -hmm. their experience as tweens and teens is completely different from ours whether you had a really great experience um growing up or a really poor one like we just don't even have a template and so I'm constantly just feel like I'm like you know making that first pancake crossing my fingers that it turns out oh yeah and first pancake you never know okay next question is from Britta and her question is this I recently began a new job in a different field of medicine. One of my colleagues suggested I might have ADHD. I've never considered this, and it's actually been my job in the past to diagnose ADHD. I have attributes that I feel could be explained by my personality, but these are also ADHD criteria. Examples, I'm late and also sometimes early for things. I procrastinate. I hyper-focus on things I enjoy. I also have two young children, and I am pregnant with my third. I think my personality traits, or the ADHD, whichever it is, has become more pronounced because I have a career outside the home, manage the kids, the childcare, etc. I paid for a legitimate evaluation from a physician, and she recommended a life coach. So my question is, as someone with ADHD yourself, do you have any tips on recognizing ADHD versus in high-achieving women who did well in school and didn't struggle until their lack of time management was unsustainable. This is very interesting. Is it ADHD or is it just I'm juggling too many things? Well, yeah, and that's the <laughs> that's the million-dollar question. I really wish that she had said what the professional evaluation revealed. I'm assuming it revealed she doesn't have ADHD. Yeah, that's what I am taking away from it, um, which I've I've heard similar stories, I think, especially from women, because it does often women usually have inattentive type ADHD. There's like there's hyperactive, which is usually in boys, but not always. And then there's inattentive and then there's combined um and obviously when somebody is like physically hyperactive it's just easier to spot but i think girls and women usually fall under um like inattentive or combined and they're like spacey and and all like the other things that you described um but i'm not i mean obviously i'm not a health professional i got diagnosed after my son because I was going through the diagnosis process with him and was like hmm a lot of this is really taking me back to my childhood and so I was referred to a psychiatrist for an evaluation who asked basic because there's different ways to evaluate adults um and so I was asked a ton of questions about you know my childhood middle school high school college and and that is that's how I came to my diagnosis, like my formal diagnosis. And it's hard to say, like like Andy said, like you said, that how what what is just like the the stresses of motherhood because we're all 
juggling so much? And then what is, like, at what point is it ADHD? And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think a lot of it comes down to, like, how much is it interfering with your life and, like, your day-to-day? And I definitely, for me, it was the third child that, like, kind of tipped the scales for me to where, like, my, I, the way that the evaluator explained it to me was like, you know, you had these healthy coping mechanisms, but those only get you so far for so long. Eventually, like, it was just too much. Like, your attention was split too many ways. And, and so that was what completely tipped the scales. And I do think, I mean, I guess it depends on what your goal is. Like, because it sounds like her, like, if things are going well for her, I think it's interesting that a colleague, her colleague suggested she has ADHD. So I'm like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> is there a problem at work? Is that what, like, the issue is? Um, it, it comes down to your goals. If you're wanting to explore, like, you know, eventually get to the point where you want to explore medication, then you obviously need like a formal diagnosis from a doctor and all that. But I think for a lot of people, just knowing that they have ADHD is really helpful because there are, your brain just works differently. And if you can find a coach or any way to learn about like those processes that will help you in the unique way that you think and learn you can be really successful because it is kind of a you know so many people with ADHD it's I don't want to say their superpower because I feel like that's so cheesy but um it does help them accomplish amazing things okay now Liz asked this question but I believe you received several versions of this question how did you know you were done having kids? I'm having trouble deciding if we want a third. Yeah, that's – this is a tough one. It's a tough one for someone to answer for someone else. But the thing that I usually say to people mm. is – because I think for a long time, a lot of people were like, well, you'll never regret having more, you know? And – I don't think, I don't want to say that's like not always true, but you also have to like, I think it's possible to know that you would love another child. Like you have the capacity to love another child, love another little baby, but also know that it's not the best thing for you or your family. I just didn't feel done after our second in a way I knew I would feel done after our third and now I the reasons that I'm done are like because again I could be convinced to have a fourth but now like we're getting older and my pregnancies got progressively more difficult and now we're entering this phase where like my big kids are into all these different like they're very busy with their interests and um, like kind of very much exiting that that little kid world and I want to be able to pour into that and so for for all those reasons and more it doesn't feel like the right decision for our family to have a fourth even though I know 
I would I would like adore another child. I love my kids so much. They're like everything to me. But um, I think, you know, you have to take all those things into consideration. When I when I get pregnant, I am very, very sick. And then I also usually have a I this last time had a really tough recovery after mm-hmm. our third. So I feel like I lose like two years of my life every time I have a baby. And I'm really enjoying the phase that we're in. So I'm just not ready to go back there. Like I but I know people who breeze through pregnancy. And so it that's like not even a consideration for them. Um but yeah, I think and obviously it's it's hard. I think the hardest thing is when like you and your partner on, are on different pages because I get that. Like people talk about that a lot. And that is something that like it's almost best mm-hmm. to discuss like with a therapist because otherwise there's going to be a lot of resentment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all the time we had today. There are a lot more questions that we didn't get to, but we will absolutely touch on them in future episodes. So make sure to keep listening. And thank you for joining us today. And thank you so much for sending in your questions. Momplicated is a Bravadio production with support from Acast. It's hosted by me, Dana Phillips. Our producer is Andy Gardner Bernstein. It's presented solely for entertainment purposes. The opinions expressed here are not intended as legal, psychological, or any type of professional advice. Can you imagine? Oh my God. (laughs) Um, You can follow, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And for more content, follow me on Instagram at Dana.p.phillips. See you next week.